Now we're going to continue the study that we began a few weeks ago called How to um, Alter Your Life. How to Alter Your Life. And we're talking about life change. And in that context, you would imagine that in the title of this message, the word alter would be spelt A-L-T-E-R. But as you can see on the screen, that's not what I've done here. And that's because I'm using a play on words. I've spelt the, the word alter, A-L-T-A-R, because we are looking at, in these weeks together, six occasions when people had a life-changing encounter with God at an altar. And each of these uh, episodes that we're looking at uh, also highlight uh, a life-transformational principle. Now, I imagine that you, like me, have stuff in your life you'd like to see changed. You'd like some life change. In fact, I'll bet some of you are here this morning specifically because you want to see some things changed in your life. Now, there's a, a, a lot of things you might consider to be life change principles, like, you know, getting a, a different job, getting a new de degree, um, losing some weight, working out at the gym, becoming a vegan, you know, things that you know will change your life and probably for the better and all of those things are wonderful, hallelujah. But the things that really bring life change, the things that really cause us to become the people God meant for us to be are not those kinds of things. And so we're looking at the, the key principles from God's word about how a person can have their life altered to become everything he intended from the beginning for it to be. And we're looking at these occasions where people met God at an altar and walked away different. And so that brings us, as I said, to Genesis chapter 22. And we're going to be looking at an episode in the life of a guy named Abraham. And I'd like to ask you to follow along with me as I read. And we're talking today about the life change principle of obedience. Obedience. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Before I go any further, let me just uh, remark about this. It says here that, these, that this happens after some things. Now it came to pass after these things. What were those things? Well, there's a lot of them, but nothing more uh, prominent than the fact that Abraham had had a promise given to him by God. God spoke to him and said, I'm going to make your offspring, your descendants, as numerous as the stars in the heavens and the sand on the seashore. And so Abraham held on to that promise. He and his wife, Sarah, but they had no children. And they were reaching a hundred years of age. Still, no kids. But holding on to this promise from God. And then God, in this miraculous, unimaginably powerful way, causes this eld very elderly couple to give birth to a son. His name was Isaac. Many of you know the story. A remarkable answer to prayer and fulfillment of promise. That's what, lead, what leads up to what we're about to read right now. God calls out to Abraham and Abraham says, here I am. Verse 2, then he, God said, 
Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, the one you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Can you imagine that that's even in the Bible? Now, we read this as history. It's already happened. We're looking back on events that took place a long time ago. But for Abraham, this wasn't history. This was his present. He was walking through this. And the God he had come to put his whole faith and trust in and built a lifelong relationship with has just asked him to do something so unimaginable. You and I sitting here all these centuries, all these millennia removed from that can't even grasp how, how impossibly horrific this sounded to his ears. Are you kidding me? God is asking Abraham to engage in human sacrifice and to offer as that sacrifice his son of promise. Now, in case you're getting a little bit nervous right here, let me just say this, that Abraham serves as, this, this is a testing of Abraham. We're told that in just a moment. We're going to see that. Testing of his faith. But he serves as an example for all of us. You don't have to worry. God's not coming after your kids. But I want you to see that Abraham doesn't know the end of this story. He does not know how this is going to turn out. A lot of us do because we've read it. But watch what he does. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. He gets this unimaginably challenging command from God, and he obeys. No hesitation. He obeys. But he obeys with a kind of faith I can't, I can't even grasp. We will come back to you, he says. We will come back to you. Verse 6. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. So we, we don't know exactly how old Isaac was at this point, but he wasn't an infant because he was able to carry the load of the wood. And we're going to see in a little bit that he has enough cognitive abilities that he's able to enter into a conversation with his dad about what's going on here. So he lays the wood on his son Isaac, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father? And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, um, Look, uh, there's fire, 
and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Now, Abraham probably wasn't even aware, but he's prophesying at this point, and he's telling all of us about the lamb who the Father will uh, provide for himself and for all of our rescue and redemption, Jesus Christ, who will be offered as a sacrifice for our sin. Verse uh, 8, last part, so the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there, placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Now, I don't care how young uh, Isaac is, he's certainly able to take his, this 100-year-old man if he wants to, but he himself is submitting to this process, allows himself to be bound and laid on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But, hallelujah for the buts. <laughs> but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, so he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from him. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and said, it's about time. No, that's not what it says. <laughs> then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place. He gave it a new name. The Lord will provide. That's the name of this place where this happens. So he is at this place where he set up this altar and his life and you're going to see all of our lives were impacted and changed by what happened at this altar. He calls it. He names it. The Lord will provide. And then as it, it says, as it is to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. A saying came out of this experience. The saying is, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord. You know, if, if God makes you a promise and he swears by himself, pretty serious stuff. By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That's you and me. Because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. I'd like you to watch this with me. Laura. Hey, Lord. So how did it go with Kat? Did you talk to her? Oh, well, Lord, not exactly. <laughs> did you forgive her? Well, Lord, I mean, I was just thinking, like, why should I forgive her? <laughs> because I asked you to. Well, yeah, I know you did, Lord, but why? Well, you shouldn't have to know why, just that I asked you to do it. 
Oh, that doesn't make any sense, Lord. You don't understand the situation. Kathleen has an attitude problem. Laura, you believe that I know what is best for you and for Kat? Well, yeah, Lord. Then you'll do this. But, Lord... This is no different than when I've asked you to do anything else. Yes, this is, Lord. This is way different. When I asked you to quit your job, you quit. Well, of course, Lord, but I didn't like my job, so I was happy to leave, you know? I mean, this is way different. Okay, Lord, you know what? I've got an idea. How about we give it a week and I'll pray about it? Uh, I'll give you my answer now. Uh, but, Lord... Look, Kat's coming by here very soon. She's coming okay? by here? Yes. Well, uh, let's go. Now's your no, chance to talk to no, her. I want you to forgive Lord, her. Lord, you don't understand it. Hey, Laura, hi. It's been like hi. two wow. weeks since we've had coffee. Yeah. Oh, it has. We should totally get together this week. Oh, wow, I can't do that. I am so busy. Oh. Yeah. Well, how about next week? Well, you know, actually, I don't think it's going to happen for a while. Oh. Well, is everything okay? Oh, yeah, everything's great. Uh-huh. All right. Um, I guess I'll just um, see you later then. Bye. Lord, did you hear that attitude? I thought you were going to forgive her. I thought you said we could wait a week, Lord. No, you said that. Oh, okay, Lord, you're being unreasonable, okay? Why don't you just go talk to Kathleen and have her come to me and ask for my forgiveness? Laura, you need to obey. I want you to forgive Kat. But Lord... Why do you keep calling me Lord? You won't even do what I ask. Let's talk a little bit about obedience, shall we? <laughs> I'm just going to, um, with the example of Abraham and Isaac in the background, I'm just going to point out a few things about obedience, a couple of things that it isn't, and then a few things that it is. In this context, obedience isn't natural. It isn't natural. What we have inherited from, Abra uh, from Adam and Eve is rebellion. That's, that's the human legacy. That's, we come out of the womb. Uh, you know, I know when you hold that little baby in your arms and you're so delighted at the sweetness of that child. Can I just tell you what you're really holding is a sin bomb ready to go off, <laughs> you know? And because we are born in sin and, and we want what we want when we want it and the way we want it and get out of my way, uh, you know, if you plan to do anything different. We are enamored with um, rebellion and self-determination. And I suppose this is true of every person on earth, but it certainly is uh, especially true of us in the United States, a country was, that was born in rebellion. I'm, I'm as patriotic as the next guy. I'm glad we rebelled against the rule of England and taxation without representation, and that's the end of the history lesson. I'm, I'm happy to be part of this country, but let's acknowledge the fact that woven deep into the DNA and fabric of who we are as a people is this idea that we celebrate self-determination. I'm in the driver's seat. It's not a good thing. Self-determination is a form of slavery because it limits everything about my life to what I can bring to it. I can't extend beyond my own wisdom, my own experience, my own resources. It, it ties me to who I am and that's it. 
It's, it's limiting. We talk about it as freedom. It isn't. It's slavery. Obedience to God, someone who has infinite resources, whose perspective is far beyond anything I can imagine. When I surrender to him with obedience, it opens up true freedom. Freedom is found in surrendering to God. So obedience isn't natural and it isn't based on logic. If you figured that out, obeying God is not about him explaining himself to me. God's ways are higher than mine. He doesn't get, you know, he doesn't get uh, excited or he doesn't um, want to confuse us or just do, cause, call us to do things that uh, are beyond our comprehension just for the heck of it. But he is a God who dwells beyond us. In Isaiah, it tells us that his ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are greater beyond us. So it would make sense, wouldn't it, that there are times when he asks us to do things that we might not yet understand? And when we insist that God make himself uh, uh, understood to us before we obey, there's a problem there. Now, Sue and I, we have currently have five grandchildren. I say currently because within about a month, we're going to have two more. So <laughs> we got a whole crew. Now, we raised three kids too, but we don't care about them anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, have you, parents, have you had, or grandparents, have you had those those conversations with your kids or grandchildren that they, they are uh, demanding to understand before they obey? It's, um, yeah. The other day, a couple of weeks ago, we were at our cabin down in Southern California. We had a couple of our grandchildren there, our oldest grandson, he's nine, and we're, we're taking a little hike up the road from our cabin and we're on a hill and so there's a pretty steep grade to this road that we're walking on. And you know, it's paved but it's a mountain road, road so there's rocks and pine cones and other kind of debris in the road. Anyway, we're coming back down and he starts to run. And I know what's gonna happen and it ain't gonna be good. I'm gonna find him about a mile from here and he's gonna be all tore up when he stumbles and falls, right? So I say, stop! And his parents raised him right, he stopped. <laughs> but often, truth be told with me, God will say, stop! And I'm going and I'm saying, I don't understand, why should I stop? Until it's too late, yeah. So our obedience isn't based on logic. You know, when Sue and I were asked to I hope you won't take offense to this, but, you know, uh, we're getting near the end of our tenure here anyway, and so. <laughs> but, um, you know. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> yeah, years ago when we were 
asked to consider uh, t coming to take uh, the leadership of Crossroads, can I tell you, it didn't make any sense. And we didn't want to. In fact, we told our, our district supervisor, no. Um, but the Lord kept, I mean, honestly, I, God doesn't, God, there's nothing about me that means that God has to explain himself to me. Uh, but God was faithful to not, not so much explain himself, but to make it clear, no, I want you to do this. And so we, we got with it and we said yes. Now, as we are approaching our retirement, can I tell you that there is, I can't think of, but maybe a handful of decisions in my life that were as meaningful and as important as the, as the decision to say yes to Jesus for that. And I almost didn't. God doesn't have to explain himself. I could have never known. I could have never understood why this would be so important. I do now. I didn't then. Obedience is not about uh, logic or God explaining himself to me. Obedience is simply based on God's word. What has he said? You have in front of you a whole lot of what God has said. Obedience is based on this, but it's also based on those individual and personal words that God gives us that aren't discordant or out of sync with the written word of God, but highlight certain things that he's saying to us about the specifics of our life circumstances. But the reason I'm saying this is because obedience in the context that we're discussing this morning is not obedience to a religious system, and it's not, an obedi not obedience to a religious leader. That's something evil. That's something wrong. We are not called to be people who obey anything but what God has said. Now when he says that through someone he has placed in a leadership position in our lives, we need to pay attention. But you, you understand there's a distinction here. It's all about what has God said. I need to obey that. Obedience is immediate. We've kind of already talked about this a little bit. But I want to um, say that in, in, in insisting that we understand that obedience needs to be immediate. We, this is cliche, but it really should be true of us. That if God says jump, I'm asking why on the way up. It's not wrong for us to say or to ask God why. In fact, in James chapter 1, verse 5, he said, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He's invited us to ask the why question. And he says, I won't make fun of you because you don't understand. He says, I, will, I won't upbraid you is the, is the way it reads in the, in the New Testament. God is not looking for... Um, for blind or mindless obedience, but he's looking for immediate obedience. There's a difference. I obey, then I ask why. With me? 
Last thing I'll leave you with about all this is that obedience unleashes blessing. Now, my obedience, or uh, God's blessing is not ever a reward for my obedience. I don't earn nice things from God because I do what he tells me to do. His blessing is the result of my obedience and that's a very, very important distinction. Because a lot of us think, well, we just have this crazy old white-haired goon up there in heaven that tells us things to do that don't make any sense and if we do it, he likes that and so he does nice things for us. No. That's not the God we have. When I obey him, I place into his hands something he can use to bless me. His blessing in my life is the result of my obeying him. He, my choosing to do what he says when he says to do it gives him the tools, the seed to be able to unleash blessing in my life. Think about Adam and Eve. Now some of you have heard me say this before. I don't apologize for saying it again because it's true. Adam and Eve. Chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, they have sinned and God has to pronounce what the judgment they've unleashed on the planet and all of, the, all of us. But chapter 4 begins in a very unusual way. I want to explain. God had given Adam and Eve two commands. Two. Be fruitful and multiply. In other words, go have a bunch of babies. And don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Two things. One thing to do, go make babies. One thing not to do, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They had done what they were told not to do. They have eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and that sin has unleashed, you know, all the evil in the world. But there still remains something that they were told to do that they haven't yet done. Chapter 4 of Genesis begins saying that Adam knew his wife Eve, she conceived, bore a son. Now maybe that doesn't sound like anything real hard to do. Can I just tell you that in their context it was extremely difficult for them to obey God. Because God had just told Eve childbearing is going to be painful. She's never had anybody she can compare notes with. There's nobody she can go to and say, can you survive this? Can I get an epidural? You know? <laughs> There's nobody she can talk to about that. All she knows is this is going to be serious stuff. God has had to say to Adam, Adam, where everything has been provided for you from now on, you're going to have to fight with nature itself to be able to provide for yourself. And for him to think, well, I'll, I know what I'll do. I'll just go add another mouth to feed. The, the, these were not, e not an easy choice for them to make. But when they obeyed, when they ch found the one thing that was still available to them to obey and did it, 
It placed in God's hands the thing that he could use to bless the whole world. Because Jesus will come. The Savior of the world, the one who cleanses our sins and took our place on the cross, comes as a result of them placing into God's hand this simple step of obedience. God causes blessing to come as a result, always a result of my obedience. Can I ask you to consider as we wrap things up today, what still remains of God's commands to you that you have yet to obey. I don't need to ask about all the things that you've done you shouldn't have done. That's water under the bridge, you can't take it back. There's forgiveness for all that, hallelujah. But there's blessing still to come on the other side of obeying what you have yet to obey. Let's choose today not to hesitate any longer. Let's choose today to be immediate with our obedience. Before we leave that parking lot, let's put into action the things that we know God has called us to do that we have yet to do. This is recording number 11269 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, July 23, 2017. This is the third message in a series titled, How to Alter Your Life. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Obedience.